what's going on everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast i'm les and i'm mo and this is the les and mo show what's up fam thank you for joining us for episode four we hope you've been well and we hope you enjoy today's episode before we jump into today's episode, be sure to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening on Spotify, please give us a rating and follow our podcast. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Less and Mo Show. Today we're talking about the movie The Exorcist and the true story behind it. So this is absolutely wild, you guys, like insanity surrounding all of this. So I think this episode really is going to have you wondering, is is a curse real or are things just coincidental in life? I know that through the research period up until now, I've really been wondering the same thing. So I want to know what you think. Please, please, please leave us your thoughts in the comments because we love to hear what you guys think about all of this anyways. Yeah, and I actually didn't know much about the background story of the production, everything that had happened to some of the crew members and yeah. some of the actors that were involved in the movie. I had I had no idea. I mean, I'd seen the movie, but had no idea that all this happened. Yeah, there's a lot to it, too. Like, I had heard that there was a, you know, curse surrounding the production and everything. And I knew, like, maybe two or three things that had happened. But I did not realize just how far this goes. Yeah. So, hey, I mean... I kind of believe that it could be a curse. I, I really do. So let's start with the story behind it all. Unlike the movie, the possessed child was actually a boy. His name was never released by the priest who performed the exorcism on him. So they called him Ronald Doe. In 1949, in Maryland, Doe would begin hearing scratching and knocking coming from one of his bedroom walls. Things would soon escalate when chairs started moving and his bed would shake. The floors of their home would get scratched from heavy furniture moving around and a picture of Jesus would even shake when Doe would go near it. Unable to stop the occurrences, the family eventually sought out help from Jesuit William Bodern. He would end up conducting 20 exorcisms on the boy over the next three months. That's insane. That's 20. a long time. Yeah. One occurrence had 14 witnesses, and it is reported that the boy entered a trans-like state during it. William ended up keeping a diary throughout this time and would write that there was a scratching sound that was so loud it would drown out the sound of marching soldiers. He would also write about a St. Margaret Mary relic being thrown on the ground. A discussion to move Doe to St. Louis, Missouri began following these incidents. One of his aunts lived there, so the family in Bodern agreed that this is where the boy would get the best help. So Bodern stated in his diary that whoever had taken over Doe was obviously in favor of the move because one night the word Lewis was scratched into his skin. Then, when trying to figure out which day to move, the word Saturday was carved into his hip. Then... There was the question of how long did they need to stay in St. Louis? And again, the demon answered, and it was etched into the boy's chest of 3.5 weeks. 
So all three of these etchings were done on different days. That's wild. Right. Like the demon was like playing with them, you know, or whatever was taken over him. So when they moved him to St. Louis, the boy was actually admitted to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. And four weeks later, he would go into these like wild tantrums where he cussed, he screamed and he spoke in Latin. But on one particular time, the priest would say that the demon was actually being driven out of his body. So there were actually no more occurrences after that. As an adult, Doe would be named publicly as Ronald Edwin Hunkler. In his adult life, he worked for NASA and even helped on the Apollo missions. He was always worried, though, that his colleagues were going to figure out that he was the one who was, you know, having this film based off of him. So luckily, you know, his name, he went through his career and his name did not end up being released until after his entire his retirement. But he was still so worried that with his name being released, people were going to just come to his house and want to talk to him about it. So he really had the most anxiety around Halloween time. And he would literally leave his house every Halloween to get away from potential visitors. Wow. What a turnaround, though. I mean, he went from having the worst time going through this possession and then, you know, having a pretty decent life afterwards. Yeah, he made a name for himself and to be part of the Apollo missions is pretty damn cool. So good for him. But um, so <laughs> as you know, in episode one, we talked about how I'm from Alton, but then I moved to St. Louis. Well, oh, Ghost Adventures came to the Exorcist house in St. Louis and I knew where it was. I had a really good friend who lived really close to it. So I had driven by it numerous times. But man, I love Ghost Adventures as tacky as it can be sometimes. <laughs> I love watching it, especially when they talk about places I know about. So they were set up. They had their whole thing set up and it was like three blocks they had blocked off around the house. Damn. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. And if you don't remember, that episode was actually live. So I'm like watching some of it at home and it's like a three hour thing. And I'm like, this isn't good enough watching it from my bedroom. I have to go. So I literally drove to the filming set, like where they were filming and tried to get as close to the house as I could. But they had security everywhere. So I had to come up to this like, like stop, like zone and a security guard came up to me and was like hey uh what are you doing here here? yeah and i was like i I live here sir and he's like where do you live and i was like right down there and he's like what what's your address i'm like man you caught me i'm sorry i just wanted to see and i he was like you need to leave i'm like okay so i left but yeah i really wanted to see zach bagan yeah and i i did not know that you know the the true story was a boy uh, the main character in the, in the real life story. Yeah. And that it had happened in St. Louis. I didn't know that either. So, man, that whole Southern Illinois, St. Louis area, they got a lot of crazy stuff going on there. Yeah. Well, it's all very old historical places. There's bound to be some creepy, crawly stories coming out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, if that wasn't enough, the movie production for this film was even more crazy. As most of you know, The Exorcist was a wildly popular horror movie. The level of excitement surrounding this premiere was unheard of for a horror movie at this time. 
It's still known as one of the most popular horror movies till this day. Some viewers at the premiere had to leave the theater because they were so overwhelmed with fear and some even got physically sick. The real life stories behind the production of the film are far more sinister. There were numerous deaths and accidents that happened on and off set, as well as very dark methods of filming to create the airy scenes. One of the extras in the film who played the role of a doctor actually ended up being a suspected serial killer. The film was based on the 1971 novel The Exorcist by William Stephen Blatty. Blatty was inspired to write the book after reading through newspaper clippings about the exorcism of John Doe in St. Louis. The author would even insist on helping produce the movie and write its screenplay. Blatty worked closely with director William Friedkin to recreate the works from his book. Not too long after the book came out, and director William Friedkin would begin getting the cast and crew together to make the iconic movie. The film itself was released in 1973 and was a huge contribution to the horror genre at that time. Special effects like never used before were made to help give this film an authentic feel. It was so realistic at the time that some people literally had to leave the theater out of pure terror. One patron who was watching the movie broke her jaw after she passed out. It's absolutely crazy. What? <laughs> like, yeah. People... I don't think that's ever happened for any movie. Like, besides this. Yeah, well, they, nowadays, you know, they, like, say, oh, The Conjuring, it's the scariest the movie scares, now. And yeah. then they have, like, the people in the audience, and they look so terrified. Like, it's exactly what you said, though. Jump scares. I, wa I watched this. I watched The Exorcism, I think. When I was like seven. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. I watched it with all my older cousins and my sisters. And we watched it at my cousin's house. I remember we were just sitting there. Oh my God. And I remember at one <laughs> point, like, we were, we were at like a party, like a family party, right? And I remember at one point, me being the only one in the room watching it myself. Oh. Yeah. Brave. I know. Brave. <laughs> I remember seeing it for the first time. And you see the scene where she like crab walks down the stairs and like at the end of the like at the end of the stairs that was like the scariest thing for me I was at my aunt's house with one of my cousins and saw it and I remember just I will always have that scene ingrained in my head and think about it from time to time like it's just terrifying for real but um you know, the audiences, they wouldn't be the only ones to experience this terror, though. The actors and film crew were subjected to extreme methods that borderline torture, and they it even left some people injured on, on multiple occasions, actually. But Friedkin was known for trying to get his actors into character by using scare tactics like slapping them across the face before an emotional scene and then capturing the genuine reactions and using those in the film. He would even fire guns behind or next to his crew to get them into a place of fear Gosh. that would translate onto screen. He's like a coach. He's nuts. Like, He's like trying to get you ready for a playoff yeah, game or something. Up. Like it's crazy. But Linda Blair, the film star who played the possessed girl, Reagan McNally, and she was only 14 at the time, guys. She had no trouble holding back in interviews when describing the way director William Friedkin made some of the most memorable screams scenes happen. 
She would talk about how some of the bedroom scenes were shot using air conditioning units where temperatures were kept below zero. They did that to make the icy breaths of the priest look more real, and it even caused light snow to fall from the ceiling on one occasion. Like, that's insanely cool. Yeah, I mean, that that's commitment right there. This guy was obviously, like, yeah. into it. I mean, you have to be. I feel like if you're doing something like this where it's going to be, like, monumental well, and, like, yeah. the film industry, like, yeah. you have to take things to the next level, you know? Well, and what's crazy to me is that Linda Blair was only wearing a nightgown in these scenes, right? But if you look at the priest, what they're wearing and what her mom's wearing and anybody who enters the room, up. they're all bundled up. So, yeah, she was probably really uncomfortable. And um, I I don't know. That just had to, had to have sucked. But she said that the most traumatizing thing to happen to her on set was actually something that ended up permanently damaging her spine. She stated that in one of the scenes where she was being, like, thrashed about in her bed, there's this harness that was put around her. It was a device that was supposed to keep her from getting hurt. And it actually malfunctioned and caused her to get hurt. So she fractured her back and it would cause scoliosis that was so bad she'd live, and she still does, live in pain because of it. So she stated that um, when it happened during it, when it happened, it was actually during them filming the scene and they used it in the film. They used That's that wild. exact scene. And she said also that all of the screams are genuine, like, screams from her being in pain and them just not stopping it. So, really, really authentic. You know, all yeah. the, I mean, freaking was crazy, man. He was nuts. But the crazy, um, other crazy injury that happened was actress Ellen Bernstein, who played Chris McNally, Reagan's mom. She even sustained back injuries as well. During scenes where she was thrown around, a harness was also strapped to her and it had a rope on the end of it so she could be pulled forcefully to make it seem like she was getting thrown across the room. So it got so bad that she fell to the ground in pain and she would scream at Friedkin and ask him to like not use such crazy tactics, but he ignored her. And in 2018, um, Bernstein said that she was super impressed with his work, but he does sometimes go a little further than is safe for the actors. And I would caution him to hold back on that, but he was, gr he was a great director and I loved working with him. Yeah. So Green. she got messed up, but she still had a good experience. And that's what I said earlier, right? Like, I mean, people were going through this with this director, but it was for something that had never been done before. Yeah. You know, it, they all wanted to be a part of this movie, um, but they all knew that it was going to be, it's gonna, it was going to change the film industry and how horror movies were filmed. So. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of a kind for yeah. sure. So Freakin's extreme methods weren't what would dub the film a curse or as cursed rather. There was a fire on the set that would start a bizarre turn of events leading to the conspiracy. Freakin stated, and quote, that's the only thing that happened during the entire film that I thought was some kind of bad karma, end quote. The fire was started by a bird flying into a circuit box. <laughs> what the hell? Total miscalculation. <laughs> How the hell does that happen? <laughs> the, the, um, 
The set of the McNally house was badly burnt to the point that production was set back six weeks. Wow. Strangely enough, the only room on the set that wasn't destroyed was Reagan's room, where the majority of the scary scenes were filmed. 45 years after the film, Friedkin would state that, end quote, interestingly, the fire happened while filming the exorcism scene, end quote. After the fire, a priest was called in to perform an exorcism on the set. The fire was only the beginning, though. So that's... <laughs> they called the damn priest to come to the set to perform mm-hmm. an exorcism yeah. on the set. It's insane. Like, it, they had to have had, like, some bad juju Feelings, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean to get to get to a point where you have to call a priest, yeah. I mean, they were obviously all on the same page that, hey, something's going on here. Yeah. that's creepy man yeah one of the priests from the movie is actually a priest in real life too and i wonder since it was kind of happening to him as well if he was the one who was like hey maybe we should call a priest to come in and kind of do a a cleanse on this and since it's happening to me too i don't think that i should be the one to do it like yeah i don't know but so the deaths of others associated with the film would cause the rumor of a curse to spread a total of nine people died during or soon after the film premiered. So that's that's too many people. That's a lot. And it could be more. And you'll hear about yeah. that later on. But it could be more. Now, Jack McGowan, who played the film director, Burke Dennings, in the movie, he tragically died before the film premiered uh, from complications uh, from the flew during the London influenza epidemic of 1973. And then, this is a hard name to pronounce, but Vasiliki Molaris, who played the mother of Father Karras, also died of natural causes the same year as Jack McGowan. And in the film, she died um, and haunted her son's dreams. Wild. (laughs) That's just crazy. A lot of foreshadowing in the movie, I feel like. That's weird. Cast members also lost loved ones while filming. Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, had a son who was in a near-fatal motorcycle crash. The most compelling story associated with the curse was an extra that turned into a murderer. Paul Bateson, who worked at the New York University Medical Center, where the medical test screens the medical test scenes were shot. He was an x-ray technician at the center and was part of a group of employees who were casted as extras in the film. He only made a small appearance, but Friedkin wanted to have such an authentic portrayal of the medical scenes that he hired him to help perform the medical tests on Linda Blair's character. Six years after the film came out, Bateson was arrested and charged with the murder of a film critic by the name of Addison Verrill. He and Addison met at a New York gay club and would go back to Addison's apartment where they would hook up. Bateson would then murder Addison by smashing his head in with a skillet and stabbing him numerous times. Jeez. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, sir? Are you possessed by this demon? I get a feeling that someone like, uh there was there was a curse someone someone cursed yeah yeah it what there's murders there's deaths there's foreshadowing there's fires crazy as hell but 
Um, after being captured and sent to Rikers Island to await his sentencing, Bateson would brag to the other inmates that he was also responsible for many other murders where he chopped up the bodies and threw them into the Hudson River. This would lead police to speculate that he was in fact a serial killer because during this time, there were a string of murders that happened in the LGBTQ community of New York. The murders were dubbed the bag murders, and the victims were found chopped up, mutilated, bagged up, and thrown into the Hudson, just like Bateson had claimed he did. At least six bodies were discovered. When asked asked why he committed these crimes, he would just say, eh, it was for fun. Wow. Wow, dude. Okay. But there was unfortunately never enough evidence to convict Bateson of all of the murders, so he was just sentenced to 20 years for the murder of Addison. He was actually released in 2004. That's crazy. Yes, so he's out in the prowl, maybe. But when the exorcist director, William Friedkin, found out about all of the murders that were going on and that Bateson had basically claimed them, he decided he was going to make a movie based off of all of it. Yeah, this dude's freaking crazy too so friedkin would visit bateson in jail to get the details from him the director would then go on to cast al pacino to play an undercover police officer who was trying to solve the mysterious deaths of members of the lgbtq community in new york the movie would be called cruising yeah so that was a lot of information right there i mean There was so much going on within just this one film and the production of this film. Man, I mean, the story itself is crazy. I mean, with, with the boy in St. Louis. Yeah, and- let's talk about that again for a second, too, because that's like literally where all of this comes from. So this boy, you know, real life, it's documented so well, you know, from diaries of these priests to countless witnesses to this all of this happened to him you know he had words carved into his body he had been thrashed around the bed so just think of it like you know linda blair's character is going through the same stuff he did like that's crazy to me that that is a real life situation it's a a real life curse i think what happened this is just my theory and and we can all talk about it in the comment section but it was a real life curse that they kind of messed up you know fucking around with it yeah and, and with a movie and i guess some of them had to deal with it i mean it was yeah. a real life curse that became real when they were filming this this movie for for the for the exorcism it's crazy yeah like who who sold their soul to the devil for this film because look at how successful it is who literally sold their soul to the devil to made a deal made this right. yeah make this happen and it's still know? around this movie i feel like would probably never go away it's probably used yeah in- this is an instant classic cult classic will go down in infamy for all all of time and then the bateson character oh. i mean that's crazy yeah it, that just blew my mind i didn't know that part when i started researching this i had no idea that that had happened and i was just like jaw to the ground i could not believe someone in the cast well, became a murderer i would think that his confession to the inmate uh would be considered you know 
a con- yeah, a, a real confession, confession, a real confession yeah. that he would be yeah. But that's what sucks about the judicial system. Somebody can say that they did something, but then it goes to trial and there's not enough evidence. They can't get convicted. You know, there might be that one jury member who's like, yeah, you know, there's not enough evidence here, so I can't vote with you all. So now he's free, or now he's not and getting then charged. This, you know, the D- the director William Friedkin. I mean, he's an interesting character. I feel like he took things to the next level. I mean, what if he did something that really brought things to life? Yeah, he probably is the one who sold us his soul, you know, or like made some kind of deal. And maybe he didn't keep up with his end of the bargain. And so everything got screwed up. I don't know. But who knows? The other thing that when we were going through this and talking about you were like, hey, yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing here. Well, we talked about, you know, Jack McGrowan, who played that film director, Burke Dennings. In the movie, he's literally like his neck is broken by the girl and he's tossed out the yeah. window. Yeah. So he like died brutally. And then his fight with the flu was a really br- brutal one. Like his death both ways was very brutal. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it, it is a lot of foreshadowing. It is a lot of craziness. It just... I don't know. What do you think? Like, curse, yeah. coincidence. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah. And if you haven't seen The Exorcism, yo, go watch that movie. Go watch it. And there's going to be a new reboot of The Exorcist here in 2022. Um, there, I don't know if it's a show or if it's a movie. I didn't pay too close of attention. I'm a more of an originals kind of gal. But that is coming out soon, too. So you can check that out. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. you're good. <laughs> So that'll actually bring us to the end of today's episode, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us for another one of these. If you're listening to us on Spotify, be sure to follow us and uh, give us a rating. If you're on YouTube, click the like button and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell so you can get an update when we uh, put out some more content. Other than that, you know, follow us on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Less and Mo Show. The The more you know, the the less less you fear. fear. So So tune tune in next week right back back here. here.